Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We have been going through a series, and this series has been on love, and we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And as we've been talking about love, what we've acknowledged, what we talked about last week, is that the essence of love is radical giving and receiving, meaning that you must give and take love. It is not just something to dispense, but it is something to be received. And it is part of the way that God has created a people who are interdependent, not fully dependent on one another, we're dependent on God, and not not isolated, not independent, but interdependent, meaning we are all loving and serving God and loving and serving one another. And that's what makes a healthy church. And that's also what makes you fully alive because God has designed you to to receive love. And he's also designed you to give love. So to fulfill the design of God, we must be people who give and take. In light of that, though, the difficulty of love The difficulty of receiving love, the difficulty of giving love, is that we naturally are inclined to perform. We are naturally inclined to wear a mask. And some, because of our past, because we've been hurt in the past, some of us wear maybe that Phantom of the Opera mask where you wear a small mask. Some of us wear big Zulu masks and we have to cover up all of ourselves. But in reality, We don't want people to see the real us because if you see the real me, you won't be as committed to me. That is part of the way that we are designed. We want to perform. And one of the the challenges that we have is to be loved beyond the mask and to love people beyond their mask. And that's how God has designed true spirituality It is not just being spiritual to love God. God says to love, to truly be spiritual, is to love people as well, to commit yourself to people. This is why the scriptures go on and on about this. In 1 John 4 and 20, it says, if anyone, listen to the way he says this, if anyone says, well, I love God, I really do, deep in my heart, and yet he hates his brother This is what he says. He didn't say you have poor theology. He says you're not telling the truth. He says it's impossible to love God. He says you're a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm sorry, who who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. In other words, God is saying that I have a people that are connected to me and if you do not love them, you can't love me. That is deep into our hearts that God wants that to be true. Because the working notion we have in the culture that it's okay to love God, but you can't stand people, right? I love God. Can't stand the church. You know church. You know church people? I love Jesus, but Christians. You know what I'm saying? I love the Bible, but I read it on my own. I love watching this one preacher, but I don't go to his church. Oh, I love this worship song, but I don't want to go and worship with the people. You see, the reality is there's a verse in Acts 9-4. We don't have it up there where 
The writer of 1 Corinthians, Paul, his name was Saul at the time, and he was persecuting Christians. And Jesus confronts Saul and says, why are you persecuting not Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? So God, Jesus makes a direct connection with his people saying, if you treat my people bad, it's as if you're treating me bad. He is directly connected to them. So this, the illustration we looked at last week of the body is God saying Jesus is the head of the body and his people are his community and they are connected. Jesus is the head. He's the face. His people are the body. Can you imagine meeting someone and they go, Whew. Girl, your face looks so good. Stand up. Oh, but your body, though. Ooh. I don't like your body. I just like your face. Can you imagine a father having children? God being a father and him having children? I, hey, yo, I love you, man, but I met your kids. Can't stand your kids. Imagine a husband and a wife. Jesus says he has a bride, which is the church. Yo, James, I love you, but I can't stand Natasha. You see, you understand the father gets offended when you don't love the kids. The husband gets offended when you don't love his wife. And then someone will be offended if you say you love one part of me but not the rest of me. And so in reality, God then, if this is how he has designed us, he then equips and empowers us by way of the Holy Spirit to love people. That's why the two commands hang off of loving God, yes, vertically, but also to love people. And the Spirit empowers us to love people. And so it is not just enough to show that you are growing. Growth doesn't mean you're changing. Growth means you're loving. This is why the Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not the leaves of the Spirit. You see, the leaves, if he called it the leaves of the Spirit, that would say, oh, it's, I'm changing. But the fruit of the Spirit means I can, if this is an orange tree, it's not just showing that there's growth. It's saying I can take that orange and now I can make orange juice. I can do all types of things because that person is useful. They help people. So growth is not indicative of just changing. It's helping. It's serving. It's loving. And the reality is it's a communal reality. That is love. And at the end of our message, and at the end of this text we'll look at, Paul will say, love never fails. Meaning, to actually love someone means I will not give up on you. you and you feel that, right? Even when I said it, I won't give up on you. It is hard to say that to people. In fact, imagine all the people you tell you love, instead of saying, I love you, say, I won't give up on you. That would radically change the dynamic of what it means to love because we naturally give up on people. That is the way the human heart is conditioned. It is natural to the way that we see people and see things. You see, whenever someone or something stops giving us what we want, we naturally move on. That's with gyms, that's with churches, and that's with people. When you're not giving me what I thought I signed up for, I don't want you anymore. In Job, 
The book of Job, it's this incredible picture of Satan talking to God about his servant Job. Satan, in verse 9 of chapter 1, Satan answers the Lord, does Job fear God for no reason? I mean, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? I mean, you blessed all his work of his hands. I mean, you're giving him so much. His possessions have increased in land. How about this? Verse 11, stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he'll curse you to your face. In other words, he's saying, take what you've been giving him and see if he still loves you. Job gets tested. He sticks around, but it's a test. And that is the challenge for us. God then has equipped us to love in another dimension, the horizontal dimension. Many people say they're spiritual and they read and they seem peaceful. Yes, you seem peaceful, but can you create peace for someone else? You see joyful, but can you create joy for someone else? Love is not that I have joy, it's that I also can produce joy. I produce peace in a community. It is a communal reality. That's what love is. And as I walk through the reality of love, you shouldn't look at this and say, oh, I'm doing all that. Past that. Last year, I accomplished that. I, was, I remember I was struggling with love like two years ago, but I'm killing it now. You, there should be an element inside of you that goes, I need to grow in that. Because love is a supernatural, it's tangible, but it's supernatural. You must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to truly love people. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 then is an extremely gifted group of people that could grab people's attention with all types of gifts, whether it was speaking in tongues or whether it was knowledge, whether it was teaching. And Paul's goal is to help these people realize that although these people had great gifts, he's saying love trumps every gift. It is always superior to any gift. And the reason why he has to unpack this is because our natural tendency is to rank the most gifted as the most spiritual. So if you were sitting in a room right now, right, and you were sitting down with a bunch of people and the person with a lot of knowledge about God walked in, you'd be like, oh, snap. And they're like, yeah, because Ezekiel, you know what I'm saying? And then Deuteronomy, boop, boop. And you're like, wow, yo, that person loves God. Right? And so he's gonna, so there's this, there's a sense that the person who is good in the crowd loves God the most. And, and what he's going to say is watch how you rank people. Watch who you call mature. Be very careful of what gauge you're looking at because if you're looking at the wrong gauge, you will not be able to see who the real mature ones are. Therefore, you'll be following the wrong people. Most often, it is the most gifted that live an unexamined life. The people that we're willing to look around because they're so compelling so attractive. And so this is why Paul is unpacking this, because this Corinthian church was a very gifted church, but a very unloving church. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, let me kind of give you a, a picture here, kind of give you a situation and see who you'll choose as the most loving. He says, well, how about this? If I were to speak in the tongues of men and of angels, here he's talking about speaking in tongues, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, in the next chapter here. 
But this is this dynamic prayer style, this ability to communicate with God. If I were to do that with this angelic tongue, but I don't have love, he says, I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, meaning I'm just making noise. I'm not really getting credit from God. You guys think I'm doing something amazing, like I have this harmonic, melodic sound. I sound beautiful, but in God's eyes, he's off tune. He's really not doing anything. He says, oh, if I had prophetic powers and the word that I want to keep you looking at here, and we're going to talk about that later in the, at the end of this message. If I have prophetic powers, meaning that I'm able to speak into the lives of people and understand deep truths and understand, look what he says, all mysteries and, and I have all knowledge and I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Look what he says in verse three. If I gave away everything I had, I gave away my house, my clothes, my car, I'm an extremely benevolent person. I open up every door for every person, help every little old lady across the street. I give away all my money, I ain't got no money left. And he says, if you do all that and you don't love people, you gain nothing. So the power of that is you could be a very benevolent person but not actually love people. And, you, and, and what he says based upon these gifts is you could be very dynamic and not love people. I know pastors. They love crowds, but they don't love people. Very gifted. Move the crowd. But they don't love people. So you could have the most potent prayer life we've ever seen because he says you could have faith that moves mountains. You could be the most dynamic teacher we've ever seen because you have knowledge of all mysteries. You could trust God more than anyone else in the room, he says, because you could have all faith. You could give all your money because you could give all away. You could be a martyr, and look what he says, giving up your body to be burned. This should make you sensitive to what love really means. And so here then, what Paul is going to do for us is he's going to give us the real picture of love. He says, okay, stop looking at the people that get the most attention. Start examining the right thing. Who are they with people? Who are they with people? What should I look for? Paul, I mean, you, you told me who to ignore. Who should I look at? He says, well, let me tell you what love does. Love is patient. It's kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is going to say it never ends. It does not fail. Love is patient. Some of your Bibles will render that long-suffering. Old King James renders it that way. Long-suffering. Gives you this imagery of dynamite. You see those old cartoons where it has the, the fuse? 
And what it's giving this in imagery of, of a, a long fuse. And when you get angry, it gets lit. But it takes a long time for you to explode. Some people are proud because they got a short fuse. Oh, because you, if you, I wish. <laughs> Woo! They don't know where I'm from, right? Right? So, so what it's saying is you've got a long fuse, not a short fuse, right? But he, he, he couples this because he says love is patient and kind. So he's, the way the Greek renders it, he's putting patience and kindness next to each other because you can be patient with people but still not be kind to them. So he says it's not just enough to have a long fuse. How do you treat them while that fuse is getting shorter? And kindness is a very unique word. Social kindness is the kind of kindness that we all kind of grew up with and we know we have to do. But there is a godly kindness. Last week, I was coming here to church. Because of the marathon, my Uber had to let me out early. There was a woman there with her daughter, and they were going back and forth, yelling right on the street. She did not know where the Barclay Center was. She could not find the train. And so I said, hey, I will walk you to the Barclay Center. I'm going there right now. I'm going right by there. We start walking. Well, the, the, the mother and the daughter, they start crying because the young lady actually had an, uh, a commercial she was in. And it was going to be at the Brooklyn Museum. So all she had to do was get on the two, three, a couple stops, get right there. But they couldn't find it. So I'm walking them there. So finally, we got by the church, and I pointed, and I said, hey, it's right there. All the moms just like, I can't take this. I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, I'll walk you to the train. We get downstairs at the Atlantic Avenue station. I'm like, okay, just take the two, three. So they get to the stop. They get to the, you know, right where you go in. And they, she's like, okay, but now what do we do? I was like, you get a Metro card over there. She was, and then the mom's like, oh my God, I was like, I got you. Swipe, swipe, two, three, two, three, two, three. Just right there to stop. She's like, oh. I'm like, okay. The daughter said, that was so kind. Part of it was, not that I'm a kind person, it's just illustration, praise God, but it's, it's this, because you continue to adjust your life to meet them where they're at. You continue to contort your time, contort your energy, contort your resources to meet people where they're at. And you've done that. You've seen somebody drop something on the floor. Let me get that for you. You've opened the door. That, that's social kindness. Godly kindness is when you keep a loving, distribution, a, dis, um, a loving disposition even when you're tired. That's godly kindness. And you know what the Bible says in Romans? It's not the love of God. It's not the wrath of God. It's not the wisdom of God. It says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I turned back to you because I knew you would still take me as I am. And so you match those two together, godly kindness. And so then Paul will unpack Different images, images. He's wanting you to see this in motion. So he says it's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its 
own way. Now we know what arrogance is and rudeness is and we understand that, but that's a very important point. In fact, that's the crux of the matter when he says, real love doesn't have to get its own way. Some versions will render it, love doesn't seek its own things. One of the things you realize with children as you're raising them, for some reason at a very early age, they want to do their own thing. Like even if you give them a spoon, right? You're, you're spoon feeding them. It's like, come here, baby, come here, baby. I don't know what age it happens. They're like, I got this. And they just want to do their own thing. Like, I can, mommy, I can do it. I got it. I want my own thing, right? And because within a child, there is this part of them that doesn't want to depend on people. I want my own. And very much connected to this idea of insisting on its own way. In fact, it's, it's connected mentally is this idea of being irritable. Easily angered, some versions will say. Therefore, the need to have your own way and your penchant, your drive to be irritable are both therefore connected. James, the book of James chapter 4 says, what really, let's get, really get down to the conflicts that you're dealing with. What really causes quarrels? What, what causes fights among you? I mean, is it not this? That your passions are at war with you, within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And the last part there is saying essentially that The reason why you are so bad in community is that you are trying to get things from people that you should be depending on for God. You see, this imagery of a tree that has fruit coming off it is the idea that the tree is produced from a well-watered tree that is getting the sun. It's getting all the sustenance it needs so it can overflow to other people. People can never give the sun. They can give water, they can help, but they can't give you what you need. Many of the times we're irritated. Many of the times we're frustrated. So we're trying to get humans to do what only God can do. And we find ourselves easily angered. And these, so notice, you know, y'all want to notice something? Most of these are talking about conflict. That's why when people are like spiritual because they have like a good countenance, you know, people with spiritual countenance, like, hello, I'm godly. Yeah, I'm really godly. You know, they just seem calm and they know the Bible. And I don't, I don't, I wait. Because conflict tells the real story. All that other stuff, how much Bible you know, and that, mm-hmm. you're really gifted, yeah. You have a great social personality, wonderful. But, but when you feel wronged, that tells the real story. That's the real story of you and God. The story of you and God is how you deal with conflict with people. Notice, notice in 1 John, he said, you say you love God and hate people. It's, it's when you get frustrated with them. It's when you can't stand them anymore. It's when you want to give up. 
Side note, commercial break. 90% 90 of the times people leave a church or leave a marriage, it's because of unresolved conflict. And people want, people want to believe their imagination and they don't want to talk it out. 90% of the time. And if, and if that's the way we respond, you'll be limping in your spiritual life. Not fully equipped. And so then what he gives us then is he says, love, the way that, again, this is, these are all issues of conflict. Love then is not resentful. Now, some of you have a version that is very expressive. It says, or keeps a record of wrongs. That word in the Greek there is this imagery of an accounting. It's like an accounting term. This imagery of a ledger. If you ever look on your bank statement, mm-hmm, all, those, all those swipes that you did with the imaginary money, right? <laughs> it's getting counted up. The bank didn't forget. You forgot. The bank did not forget that swipe. <laughs> right? My wife is the financial leader of our home. And she's the one that looks at the ledger. She's also the one that helps set the budget. So there are times where we set a goal. And she'll, you know, she, she has spending freeze, spending freeze. Spend, that was funny. <laughs> spending freeze, can't use up the money. Sometimes I need some tea, just when I'm traveling. I need some tea. I need some, I need tea. I'm just so used to it. I have a, I have a, ha- I have a rhythm I get into. It's the way I preach the word. So I just do this little swipe. And the thing, you know, this would be like $4. I'm like, mm-hmm, that's cool. I need, I need it. Not the next day, though, but about, about, about a couple weeks later, my wife will be sitting there with the, the ledger. She's like, let's have a finance meeting. I'm like, you're cool. She's like, it's so funny. <laughs> this, this says you spent $4 on tea. I'm like, <laughs> I, I needed it. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to explain my way. It's like the judgment seat of God. But that's what we can do with people when we keep a record of wrongs. So you go back through the ledger and you become a lawyer, right? You get into conflict and you remind people of their failures. It doesn't mean that you weren't hurt. It means, it doesn't even mean you don't remember. It means you're not always holding up their record. You're not trying to prove to them constantly how much of a failure they are. And so then he, he pushes us. He's pushing us. He's pushing us. Remember, this is, this is the love of God pouring through us, not just our love, but the love of God working through us. Love then rejoices with the truth. And if to really love someone, and you know this about you, To really love someone, you want the truth for their life. You want them to live in reality. 
Your real friends won't let you live in a lie. Mm -hmm. Your real friends are like, that's not the job for you, boo-boo. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm, God did not, that is not the calling of your life. No, right? Your real friends will snatch you away from bad decisions. And the reason why they'll do that is because they're willing to confront you. And oftentimes, we might be patient and kind with people and unwilling to tell them hard things because in reality, we want to protect ourselves. We don't want to go through all that. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to do all that. You see the problem. You see them living in a lie. But I don't want to go through all that. And really, we should complete the sentence. I don't want to go through that because I don't love them enough. I don't love them enough to go through all that. It's tired. Oh, that's a lot of energy for them. I don't want to do that. Right? On the other hand, some of you do confront. Some of you like confrontation. But you confront because you actually like to vent. You're not trying to prevent something in their life. You're trying to vent because you love being right. And you vent easily because the relationship is not, in your mind, requ a required commitment. So if they leave, it's like, I, got, I told them what I, I told them, I told them the truth. Bible says tell the truth. I did it. Mm-hmm. I told them. I told them about themselves. But the Bible talks about truth in love. What is it like to give an accurate picture to a person and yet stay committed to them? That's patience and kindness. And so real, true, godly love tells the truth and stays committed. And this is where Paul then reaches almost his crescendo. Remember earlier where he was saying, what if you have all faith? What if you have all knowledge? What if you have all prophecy? Remember he kept saying all, all, all? Remember that? Amen? All right, praise God. Well, listen to what he does here. He says, love bears what? All things. It's not that you have all the gifts. You are able to bear with all the person's issues. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all. Bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all. It is a unique quality given to the believer to love in a different dimension so that people can look at the church and be like, this is a unique establishment willing to commit to me in a very unique way. And the quality inside us should have this all element, this I'm still here quality. I still believe in you quality. I hope great things for you quality. I'll endure with you, quality. Because I'm willing to go through all things with you. I'm willing to walk through all seasons with you. And then Paul ends it, at least in verse 8, and says, love never fails. Love never fails. The word <clears throat> fail here is this imagery 
of a runner, like in a marathon. I can't do it no more. I got to stop. It's like a, a flower that it's no longer growing. It just starts to die. It's saying that godly love doesn't run out. It doesn't get tired to the point where it would fail. And so this is godly love. You know who are always pictured as the most loving people? Mothers. Isn't that right? Mother's Day. You ain't never go to church, but Mother's Day, you in church. My mama loved me in my worst, right? But mother love fails. Mother love fails. You know, you know why? Because mother love, mother love, mother love is imperfect. Even a mother's love is imperfect. A mother will endure and endure and endure, but a mother is not a creator. You know why you know a mother is not a creator? Because every now and then a mother will be like, what is wrong with you? My God, where did you get that from? Even a mother's love has limits. It has some limits to it and cannot endure. And so church, we have to be careful because, you see, people walk in here off the street. There are some of you, you're here for your very first time this Sunday. And you might have been listening on the podcast or you might have heard about us. But it's this. It's the love of the community that actually makes people feel safe. That's why we relegate ourselves to podcasting and videos. and It's people. And we came from a family that failed us. We've had friends not endure with us. You've undone the mask and people became less committed to you. And this, this is loving people beyond the mask. And this is also receiving love beyond the mask. And it is, I am still here. I'm committed to you. I would encourage you to even say that to the people closest to you. I'm committed. I, 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 I can't stand this, but I'm committed to you. I'm willing to walk you, with you through this. <laughs> I counseled a woman once. And um, <laughs> now the, the dude she was marrying, I knew, I knew he wasn't no good, but um, <laughs> she was marrying this dude. And she got a tattoo of his name. Now, think for a second. Think, 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 think just for a second. The person, you know, who you love or did love, where would you, if you got a tattoo, where would you get that tattoo? Right? Probably somewhere inconspicuous, right? Maybe on your finger. Some people get it on their finger and they're just like, hi. You know, just they're, they're like, where would you get it? She got the tattoo. Brother's name was Chris. She got it high up on the arm. And uh, Chris, 
Well, things didn't work out. They even had a child, named the child Chris. But the child, so frustrated with his dad, changed his name to his middle name. And then I, I met with her years later, and we were laughing, and she got remarried, and the marriage was going well. And, we said, <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened to that tattoo? She was like, oh, I still have it. I was like, oh, she said, it's Christian. Yeah, I gave, I gave my life to the Lord. I got committed deeper. If you, if you, if you love somebody, if you love somebody, listen, if you love somebody, where would you get the tattoo? Where would you get the tattoo? Yeah, I mean, just if you love someone, where would you put it? Listen to what the Lord says in Isaiah 49, 16. Behold, I've engraven you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually forming, meaning I've put your name in the palm of my hand. So anytime I talk, people see your name. People know the love I have for you. They can see the commitment I have for you because they see my hand. And there was a man who doubted the resurrection of Jesus. He, he didn't believe. You, you, he really didn't rise from the dead. He couldn't have really rise. And Thomas was somebody who walked with Jesus. And he was like, no, 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 I doubt it. I can't believe it. I, I won't believe till I see his hands. And one time Jesus walked up to Thomas and he says, here, put your finger here. You see my hand? That's where the nail went through. Do you see my hands? Do you see them? In church, we are his hands. He says, you see my people? They're the ones that will love you. They, you can just stay committed. They'll stay committed to you. It's like a tattoo on your hand. And that's what people are longing for. They're longing for a people that will be committed to them beyond the mask that will hold on to them at their worst. How can, you, how can you love God who you've not seen but not love your brother who you see? And we love singing the song, your love never fails. You know what, God, your love never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. Your love never gives up. It never runs out. And what would it look like if when people were singing that song, they weren't just thinking about their prayer life or their time in the Word, but they could think about concrete people who have loved them at their worst. That person never gave up on me. I was so inconsistent. I was promises unkept. But you never gave up. Holy, the Holy Spirit has equipped you and I to not give up on people because God has not given up on us. 
We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.